Well, good morning, everyone. What a beautiful morning so far, really beautiful. We are in a series on the um, prayer that Jesus was teaching us, the Our Father prayer. Um, as part of that, we've been through different sections of this. Um, what I wanted to share with you today is simply part of the Our Father's prayer that is really on my heart, and it is the part that says, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk about that and talk about what it means, talk about the kingdom of God today, but I would like to relate it also to the very beginning and the very end of the Our Father prayer. So the, our Father prayer starts with our Father. We're not praying it alone, we're praying it collectively. And at the very end, it also says, deliver us from the evil one. This is also part of being involved in the kingdom of God. So today we'll be talking about on earth as it is in heaven. And let's start as we do by just praying the Lord's Prayer together up on the screen here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The very beginning of the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. So it is a prayer for community. And what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is actually teaching his disciples to address God as Father, to address their God as Father. What you might not know is that since about the third century BC in Jewish tradition, the name Yahweh was not even to be mentioned out of reverence. That still exists in some circles of Judaism today. And Jesus breaks with this tradition and he says, you are to call him directly our Father, Father. And what he's doing, Jesus, in doing this is he's starting this prayer by saying that you're in a relationship, that there is an intimacy with this God, and that there is actually this beautiful tension between intimacy with God and a sense of his holiness and his majesty. So what I wanted to show you, actually, that to me really spoke to me about that tension between intimacy and majesty of God is a painting. It's a painting by Chagall that is going to come up now. Um, and I hope that you can see part of it. This painting by Chagall um, actually captures the first part of Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have actually the inaugural, sort of in some ways even the anointing of Isaiah. Isaiah has come into the presence of the Lord and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And a seraph, part of the angelic host, comes with a coal to the lips of Isaiah 
and says, your sins are atoned for and you are forgiven. And Chagall chooses this moment. So you see the seraph bringing this coal, hot coal, to Isaiah's lips and saying, your sins are atoned for. And if you look, as Chagall chooses, that this seraph is coming from the left corner, from the cross of Christ. Scripture tells us it comes from the altar. But it is a foreshadowing and it's, it is of, the, of the forgiveness of sins by Jesus. And all around him, in different scenes in the corner, you have the passage of time before, present, and future. And so you have here in this painting this beautiful tension, this sense that God is calling us into intimate relationship and the majesty and the wonder of who our God is. Isaiah responds at this moment. And the Lord is asking who he could send. And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. It's a moment that we all have and that we're all called to. To sense the spirit of God upon us and to respond to a choice to be called and to be part of what he has for us on this earth. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are all called. We're all called exactly as Isaiah was called. And we're called to make a choice. And we're called to be a part of what God has for us in this world. And what God has for us is to be a part of bringing about his kingdom. So the scripture, if we continue with the Our Father's Prayer... It is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are all called to be a part of bringing about the kingdom of God on this earth. We are all called to be a part of bringing heaven to earth through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you can ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? It's a good question. And some people have different interpretations of what the kingdom of God is. And we can actually be, get part of it right, maybe not get another part of it right, but what actually is the kingdom of God? There are different kingdom views. I've been a Christian now for over 50 years, and I've had the opportunity to go to different churches and and see the visions that come from some places and vision of God from others. And there are beautiful things that very many churches are doing for what God's kingdom is and who God is. But one of the things that you recognize when you've been a Christian for a long time is that you realize and you see that there's a polarization, actually, in what is considered to be the kingdom of God. There's one kingdom view, for example, that we get saved, 
we die, and then we go to heaven. And nothing that much happens in between. That's one view. At the extreme end of that view, there is almost a withdrawal from the world. A creation of church as a kind of a spiritual bubble. And a view that in the world nothing is even redeemable. That's an extreme view of that. There are other parts of the church that have morphed completely into aspects of social justice or what you might call the social gospel. To just be involved in making this world a better place, seeing hurt, responding to it. At the extreme end of that, and not in all cases at all, but in the extreme end of that, you even have some churches who are involved in that, but who no longer preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all the power is sucked out. What is the kingdom of God? N.T. Wright has talked about that polarization that we see in parts of the Christian church. And N.T. Wright has said that it is an indication of the cultural captivity of our churches. We become culturally captive to a point of view, and we circle and we stay, and we're unable to see outside of that. There's a cultural captivity. But in fact, all these are actually parts of what we are called to do to bring about the kingdom of God. And what, again is the kingdom of God. Maybe we have a bit of a better idea of maybe what it is, what it is not. But one of the most important parts of Scripture is given to us in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. And Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. He says in verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What Jesus is doing here is that he was pointing to the return, his return. We won't know the time, we don't know the hour of that. But Jesus was also saying here, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus, standing before the Pharisees, is announcing that the kingdom of God is here. It's where he is, it is. He is announcing the kingdom of God on this earth. And what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God looks like Jesus. The kingdom of God looks like Jesus. In that last bit of scripture, it says, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And if you were to look at Christian commentary on this, deep commentary on this, there's another interpretation of that, and it is that the kingdom of God is in your grasp. So you imagine Jesus before the Pharisees 
not only announcing that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is walking these streets, the kingdom of God is in this world. The kingdom of God is in your grasp. He's pleading with them. Maybe as Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Kingdom of God is in your grasp. The kingdom of God in the age that we live in and in the day we live in and in Montreal and in the West Island and where we are, the kingdom of God brought about by the people who love God. And we are called to become transformed in our hearts and in our minds to the image of Christ. That is what we're called to do. We're called to be transformed into the heart and mind, into the image of Christ. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. There's things that we struggle with, and we battle against this most of our lives. Because part of it we get, other parts of it we deeply struggle with. But it is a process. One of my favorite verses, and it's one of the first verses that if you were into scripture memorization, you would get from the navigators. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. But it is a process. And we are called to become transformed to the image of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, Paul beautifully, beautifully discusses what this process, which we call the process of sanctification, a process of being transformed into the image of Christ, what it looks like. And let's just go through it. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. Paul is writing, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. First thing, stop right there. For each and every one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be transformed into the image of Christ, we need people praying for us. Right? Amen? We've, every single one of you that is here today, if you're here today in this church, I don't even have to ask. I know someone has prayed for you, someone along the way. You were prayed for. You were held up by someone. There were beautiful, amazing, wonderful people who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself and you were held up and you were prayed for. And it's continually. It's not a one-shot prayer. It's not like I'm magically now wonderfully. No, it's a process for us to be transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And it's only a process because we, our human selves resist it. But we are called, we have been prayed for, and we're called to pray for each other. There are going to be people that the Lord puts on your hearts, as you have been prayed for, that you will be called to pray for, and to pray for continually, continually. And the Lord answers those prayers. Amen? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We do not do this out of our own efforts. It is not something we can even possibly do, 
but we are empowered into this change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our wisdom, our mind, we, uh, we, we develop a wisdom that sees this world through the lens of Jesus. And it affects our bodies, it affects our hearts, it affects our minds and wisdom and understanding. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And we are called to glorify our Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work. We are actually called for, there will be fruit as we are transformed into the image of Christ. There is going to be something that comes out of us that is what we know as the fruits of the Spirit. Read Galatians 5, verse 22 for this. They're beautiful. These will come out of us. And it's not something that we construct. It is a beautiful demonstration of who God is and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But we bear fruit in every good work. Every good work. Everything that we do, everything that we're involved in. Hi there, how are you? <laughs> you are cute. Hi. I feel like I could use one of those little teddy bears up here right now. <laughs> So we are actually called to bear fruit in every good work. What this means is, is that everything we touch, everything we do, everything in this world is something, the common good is something that we are called to be a part of. The people who are around you, the people that you, you what is your midst? Jesus says, I am in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. What is our midst? What is the midst that God has called us into? And we walk through this midst in the power of the Holy Spirit and we bear fruit and good works. Good works. Justice, mercy, hurt, and harm. We are sensitive to all of these things. Growing in the knowledge of God if we continue in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You know, I was just talking with Walter. Walter, I don't know if you're here this morning. Walter Smith. And we were talking at the last Wednesday. Well, all our welcome Wednesdays. And Walter was just saying, he says, as I'm walking more and more with God, I'm just realizing how little and little of me it can be and how strong he is and how he works out of our weakness. But we are powered by the strength of God. We are called to have great endurance and patience. And it's not an easy thing for us to say, but life is a hard place. We've gone through a pandemic. I know the amount of hurt that is in this place. We've all had it. It's been touched in parts of our lives, devastating in some cases. We are called to have endurance, patience, to call on strength from the Lord and to give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're actually called to be a part of this, to be a part of this kingdom. And scripture is telling us here that this kingdom is a spiritual. It has spiritual ramifications. There are forces of darkness that we are called to come against. And there are angelic hosts that are spurring us on and that we are part of something that passes all of time, almost like we saw in that painting. The simplest thing and the ordinary things as we walk through this day, as we are part of the kingdom of God, as we ask to be made more into the image of Christ, and as we understand that the kingdom of God looks like Jesus, we are called to bring this into our world, to walk where we are in our world. And whatever ordinary thing it is, no matter where you are, you are rocking all of time. You are rocking domains that are spiritual, angelic domains and domains of darkness with the simplest act of the power of the Holy Spirit in our world through us. Harry Blumeris um, has written probably one of the most important books on, it's called The Christian Mind. And um, this is a book that is foundational in most Bible schools. People would be looking at this. And Harry Blumeris says, what does it look like? What does it look like for someone who has the Christian mind and heart? The heart and mind, the mind of Christ. And I just want to talk about four of the things very briefly about what he brings up. The first is the marks of the Christian mind are a supernatural orientation. Our minds are lifted, and our eyes are, lift, are, are lifted from looking down to looking up. And we see this world in its supernatural context that our lives are here and that there's actually a battle of forces of darkness and that we are involved in a conflict. And that ultimately the Lord will be the victor and he will return again. But there's a supernatural orientation and there is an acknowledgement of an authority of God that there is someone, that there is a God who exists who I am under and who has authority. Myself, my wants, my needs, who I am, the beginning and the end of me are not the end and beginning of all. The other mark of the Christian mind is an awareness of evil and wrongdoing. And this is something that the Lord will be give to you as you walk through wherever it is, whatever your midst is. The Lord is gonna make you aware of wrongdoings and evil, and you're gonna step back, and you're gonna know, and there's gonna be a caution that's put there. This is the mark of the mind of a Christian. This is the life of Christ in us. The mark of the Christian mind is marked by its concern about people. God will build in us with the life of Christ like a radar for hurt in this world a radar, and it is, becomes also almost supernatural in its sense 
that we sense the hurt around us, we sense the pain that is there, we call for, and we pray for people on their behalfs. It's a supernatural operation. And finally, a mark of the Christian mind is its conception, its conception of truth. If we are truly marked by the mind of Christ, that we have a desire for truth. What is true? It's not always always easy to know what truth is. That involves sometimes even some work. And I think, I don't know, Evangel, I think you might have mentioned it, like we're not called to be intellectually lazy either. We are called sometimes to do deep thinking about things, to understand what the truth is. But we will be people who will desire, will truly be desiring to be people of truth. This doesn't mean we all have to agree, but we are propelled by this desire to find what is true. So what gets in the way of that? That's maybe what the Christian mind looks like, but what gets in the way of that? In A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, has a chapter that's called The Veil of the Self. The Veil of the Self. Now, what can happen is that if our lives are, begin and end with ourselves, we are called to take care of ourselves. We're called to love ourselves and to love others as we love ourselves. But the beginning and the end and the sole purpose and everything is not just what Basil needs, Basil gets. That is not what God has called us into. The self, when that self comes in, it comes in like a veil. A veil comes down. And even for us, as we are, and we all have this, we've been through it. I've been through times where I've tried to read scripture and it just feels dead to me. And I have to make that connection. What's going on in my life? It's like a veil has come down. It's like I don't even sense anything supernatural coming out of scripture when it's speaking to me. God is calling us to come to him, to ask him to transform us, to show us the areas that we're still holding back and to withdraw and to pull back this veil of the self. The veil of the self, the desire of the self, you can bring almost all the harm that is gone, going on in this world and you can relate it to the power and exclusive power of the self and power of one person over other people. Almost every harm comes down to that. And we are called to speak truth to power in Jesus' name. So what Basil wants, Basil gets, should not be the way that people perceive me. Augustine says in his writings in the Confessions in the City of God that we are what we love. We are what we love. But Jesus, when he's calling and when he called out to Isaiah and said, who will I send? Isaiah says, send me. God is calling us into the loves that he desires us to have. Love of him, love of others. The commandment that Charlie was sharing just now. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He is, we are called to be transformed into those loves. But there are other loves. 
You can have a love of power. You can have a love of money. You can have a love of material items. And these things, although in and of themselves, none of them are necessarily wrong. If they have taken power over you, if they have taken power over you, the Lord is going to bring it to your attention. And we all have things that we have to struggle with. I mean, I had to struggle. I think the Lord has got this out of me, but I still see vestiges of it. But I'm the person that had to appear strong. I wanted to be a strong person. And I needed that to be shown to people and for people to see that. Well, I had to go through things in my life. And the Lord has shown me, actually, his strength will be made perfect in my weakness. We all have areas, the veil of the self, and you will be in communication with God. And God, we all have to some degree. The, the veil has not been pulled back for, fully for any of us. But God's intention is to pull that veil of the self back more and more and more with time. One of the people who studies Augustine, one of the most important scholars of Augustine, is a fellow called J.K.A. Smith. And he is a theologian who specializes, a scholar on Augustine. And he um, is coming back to this idea of we are what we love. And he has said that what happens in society, and that we don't realize it often even as Christians, is that we go into our world and we get involved in different things, but that we automate. Unconsciously, we automate behaviors from our culture. And these are also things that the Lord is bringing us to mind. We can bring and automate and bring those things even back into Christian culture inside the church. What are the things that we're being to do? I mean, I remember once, like, going to work, and I remember saying, this was not actually that long ago, so don't think it was just because I was a young Christian, right? I remember going and saying, okay, now today, I'm going to work and saying, I'm really going to live this day for God. So just at the beginning, I started, I'm going to live this day for God. And so I go in there, and I prayed, I do my devotions, I start, and I get into work, and it was like one crisis after another, literally 15 minutes, and I was just back in like my usual mode here, resolve issues, do this, do that. So like, you know, we are also called to see in each of us what you could do is ask the Lord to see to cast a light and to help you to see with his eyes. To see with his eyes. So, this has been actually a, uh, it's been brutal a uh, couple months for Kathy and I. It's been really, really, really hard. So we have, uh, our daughter has been really, really struggling with uh, some really major health issues. <clears throat> And uh, we've had to we've been struggling with that. So I mean, I'm even up here. I mean, if 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 this is touching your heart, I mean, it's only to the glory of God because I kind of feel I still have been in a daze this whole month trying to deal with all of this. But one of the things that happens, and the questions that you can ask, is that what happens if I'm going through a period of time in my life? Okay, Basil, I understand we're part of the kingdom of God. We have these things that we're supposed to do. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm beaten up. This has been just too, too, too hard. And I wanna thank for some, thank, first of all, there's a number of people that have been praying for us. Thank you for them. But it's just too hard. What do I do? 
I can't even see where I'm supposed to go. I can barely see in front of me. And it's not just day by day. Sometimes it's hour by hour. We've been through that, right? You've been through that. Kathy and I, one of the things that we love is, uh, we used to love a lot is, uh, uh, is canoe camping. So we were pretty serious canoe campers. Like we would get the canoe, head up in Lavarandre Park, and head out for like seven days before we had kids, but uh, uh, we still did canoe camping even as a family. But we would portage. So you portages, you go way back and you'd have a topographical map. That's before it was on your cell phone. Probably still have to have a topographical map. I don't think you can get coverage up there for cell phones. Anyhow, and you know, you drink the water out of the lake. It's beautiful, right? And so we'd be going, and I remember once we had this image, and we come back to it often in our Christian life. We had this image. Well, we know that there's a stream to the next lake. We have the topographical map on, you know, we're canoeing and we have it on our knees. Well, it's there. There's no stream there. What? I don't know. Like, I mean, am I reading it long? You take a look at it. No, you're reading it right. It should be there. So you go closer and closer. It's not there. Where's that stream to the next lake? And you go closer and closer. Where is that stream to the next lake? And we had this experience where we literally were right on top of it, and the entrance was hidden by a bush. You had to go behind the bush, and there was the stream. You know, our God is with us, we're limited. He's changing us into the image of Christ. We're still human beings here. We see only so much. And so Kathy had this verse that had come on her heart, particularly this month, what we're going through. I just want to share it with you because it's also part of bringing about the kingdom of God. Part of being, bringing about the kingdom of God is for us also to have a theology of suffering in our churches. That's also part of it, to understand that we go through things. Isaiah 42, verses 16 to 17. Think of the canoe camping here. <laughs> I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. This is to each of us. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake you, them, me. But to those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. If we trust in God and we give our lives to him, he's going to take us through a way, ways that are difficult. And he's going to take us through this life and transform us into the image of Christ. And the perfection of that transformation will be in the next life. But he is leading us. And I'm telling you, you can be going through some of the most difficult things you've ever been through. God is as real about you bringing about the kingdom of God in that situation as any other particularly maybe more marvelous or spiritual moment you've had. That is the reality of the Christian walk. Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6 says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, 
a father to the fatherless. We are fathers to the fatherless. We've actually been called to be fathers and mothers even this morning with the dedication that was here. And we're called to be fathers to the fatherless. You want to bring grown men to their knees? I mean, some men have had very good relationship with their fathers, but ask them about their relationships with their fathers. If you want to bring a grown man to cry, there's often been a lot of hurt there. He is a father to the fatherless. He is our God. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. A defender of widows, it's important. What does that mean here? It's also how we begin to see with this radar of the eyes of of people of Christ and the kingdom of God being brought on this earth. The defender of widows, the widows were just simply the most marginalized people in that society at that time. We're called to do the same here. Who are the most marginalized among us? Who are the ones who are not able to manage for themselves? Who are the ones who have been suffering and hurt and were called to be fathers to the fatherless, to be a defender of widows, as God in his holy dwelling? And for many, with the pandemic, is this idea of loneliness. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners. No matter what has happened, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, the Lord desires you to turn to him, and he desires to set the prisoners free. This is what the kingdom of God looks like, and the kingdom of God looks like Jesus. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. If we decide and rebel and decide to make that choice to live entirely for ourselves, there are consequences to that that happen to our lives. God desires us to know him and to know a better way. So we are called as Christians to be transformed in our hearts and our minds into the image of Christ. That transformation will transform our loves. We bring heaven to earth when we are a Christ-reflecting light in the places of greatest need in our world. We're transformed into people of justice and mercy. We bring heaven to earth in the ordinary and difficult walk of our everyday lives amid de-suffering as we love our families and those that the Lord has brought us into contact with. And we bring heaven to earth as we rejoice in the beauty of his world and creation. And I'm going to finish with a scripture. You won't have this in front of you. But Kathy and I were talking about this, and this was a scripture that we felt was also very beautiful. And again, it's Paul in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. And Paul is saying, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery 
which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal purpose, his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our simplest act, our simplest act of asking Jesus to be exhibited, to be a reflection of Christ in the world that we are, the simplest act, even in the most difficult times in which we are, and maybe particularly in the most difficult times we are, is rocking heaven and earth. It is not some isolated event. It's touching all of time, and it's going beyond this material world, up into the heavenly realms, and against the forces of darkness. Let's pray.